0: Witches, and welcome to Witch Space. I'm Gemini. And I'm Scorpio. And today, for the last book of 2022, we have Year of the Witch by Temperance Alden. And the full title is Year of the Witch Connecting with Nature Seasons Through Intuitive Magic. And it came out in 2020. So it's weird because I knew that. But then at a couple of points, she mentions COVID. Yes. And I was like, whoa, what? You know, I'm so really, this is, yeah. you're not going to get more current than a book like this. It talks about what we're going through right now. Yeah. Even though we are pretty far ahead from where we were then. Temperance, aside from being a witch, also has a podcast. It's called Folk Craft Podcast. So I would say look for it after, Definitely. you know, you hear this. Maybe you like what you hear and you want to, you know, check her out and listen to her. So because we got to jump in with a, uh, with a quote. Yes, always. My goal with this book, this is from the intro, my goal with this book is to give you what you'll need to create your own personalized Wheel of the Year. I love it. And I know it's called Year of the Witch, but when she said that, I was like, oh, wow. We've never thought about a personalized, it's just the Wheel of the Year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know we've said things like, well, the Dino people had a different wheel of the year, but I prefer this one because I live here. So I know that there are different wheels of the year depending on who you are, but it never occurred to me to say, oh, wait a minute. I think my wheel of the year will be blank. So I like the premise of this. She says that by developing an intuitively based wheel of the year practice, secular witches are free to practice in a way that is genuine to their own to their unique path. And I think that's another thing that we don't really think about. We talk about the Wheel of the Year, we're assuming it's Wiccan. Yeah. And if it's Wiccan, we're assuming it's spiritual. So I like that she's like, hey, hold on. Because let's face it, when you talk about the Dino Wheel of the Year, they're not talking about gods. They're literally talking, this is the wet season, this is the dry season. Yeah. This is when we do this with the crops, this is when we fish. That's really all they're talking about. And although, to some extent, the Wheel of the Year does that as well, but then we have things like, you know, the goddess Bridget, mm-hmm. right? So once you start doing that, do people that are secular go, oh, I can't really get into this Wheel of the Year thing. So she's telling people, listen, Wheel of the Year is good. Everyone should have one. It does not have to have anything to do with goddesses if you don't want them to.
1: Yeah, I think that this is something that's been percolating in my head for a while and so it was really nice to have a book to be like oh yes this is a this is a valid thing and you should do it because I think that that analysis that she has is spot on I have never resonated with the wheel of the year and I live in an environment that matches it so it's very much sort of what we've been saying all season is like this is just giving you permission to do things the way that works for you Yeah,
0: so one of the things she yes. does is that she tells us the difference between instinct and intuition.
1: Yes, which was, I actually, I had a quote. I oh. highlighted um, the, her definition. She breaks intuition down into three levels. And I thought that, that was really helpful, especially like if you're new and you're not really sure how to define intuition. Um, so she says intuition can be broken down into three levels. Passive intuition, which is complete guessing. Intuition, moderate intuitional awareness, and educated intuition, which is active intuition. And for me, that was sort of like, oh, okay, so there is, I'm just going with it. I kind of have an idea. And then I have experienced this so many times that I'm able to deduce using my, you know, extrasensory perception. Um, And she then goes on to say, you know, intuitional awareness is relevant to this conversation Because you need to, you're sensing the climate, not just through like watching it with your eyeballs, but with your body and understanding that in a way that is outside of your brain sometimes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So instinct, she talks about as being a biological reaction to the outside, whereas intuition is literal gaining of knowledge without any conscience. Commitment to gaining this knowledge. So, you know, she does say though that while it seems like it's really easy to do intuitive magic, she says that it does take practice to be able to master it. And that's where she comes into like the science of spell work. The idea yes. that you can use intuition, but it also means you have to write stuff down. Why did you why were you felt why did you feel you had to go this way? Um, how did it work out for you if it worked out for you great if it didn't what do you think you did or what do you think your intuition was really telling you was it maybe telling you something else Mm -hmm. you know things to think about so I like that because I feel like sometimes when people say oh I do things through intuition are you really doing the work behind the intuition are you just like lazy and going I just feel feel my way around and I don't know that's not what she's saying intuition really is so I like that
1: yeah, I think you know, she says also that spiritual skills are akin to a muscle group. Mm. And like, yeah, you if you don't work something out, if you don't move it, you lose it. Yeah. So if you're not practicing actively, you're not necessarily keeping that skill sharp. Yeah.
0: Then she goes on to a grounding ritual,
1: which is I will... very cool.
0: Yeah. She says it will help to awaken your intuition. So, and I think it's a great thing because I don't know that I've really seen things like this, at least in the books that we've read. Yeah. And it's so important because to be a witch or to be a reader, even if you don't want to use the term witch, but you want to do divination. Yeah, you kind of need to be able to tap into intuition.
1: Mm-hmm. You,
0: you know what the cards mean, but there's something more. I, I don't think you're just reading cards. You know Absolutely. what I'm saying? So, But I, I don't think it should all be intuition-based. You need to have a healthy dose of both. So I love the idea of having a ritual that you can go to and help to awaken that intuition so you can feel it. So for people yeah. who have never done this and are like, well, what does intuition feel like? This will help you get there, I think. We
1: then- are we ready for... Yeah, yeah, go into Chapter 2, which is Cycles, Seasons, Death, and Rebirth. And I love this chapter so much. <laughs> um, first of all, I, there's a lot of quotes that I liked in this book. Oh, okay. In the beginning of the chapter, she says, um, to grow is to feel uncomfortable as we expand beyond the confines of our current shell. And there's even a quote on that, like, chapter title page that says, pain is not punishment, pleasure is not reward. And that I think is something that is really important to sort of drive home because especially when we're like, real talk, when we're doing witchcraft, we're like out here trying to get a result, right? And so I think that there's a, it's a, it can be a spiritual bypassing where you're like, well, I'm only doing stuff that's going to reward me. But like experiencing pain or having setbacks is not a punishment, it's growth. And we want to grow. I mean, biologically, we want to grow. Spiritually, we want to grow. So you kind of have to be uncomfortable to do
0: that. One of the things that I never thought about that she says brilliantly, and I'm not going to say it half as good, but this idea that to be uncomfortable, sorry, the opposite, to be comfortable messes with our natural ability to tap into things. Yeah. So, for example, in the summer, what is it to go outside and feel the heat and maybe take off your shoes and go on the grass because it's Mm -hmm. really hot and the grass can be cooling. We don't have that. We go inside, we put on the A.C., boom. We're no longer uncomfortable. We're no longer feeling anything. Same thing in the winter. Right. We have no idea about the changing of the seasons because it's always going to be a perfect, whatever perfect is for you, 65, 68 degrees in my car, in my house, whether it's summer, whether it's winter. And she says all that messes with our ability to understand the changes that are happening, not just outside, but inside as well, because then she goes into like hormonal changes as well as outside climate changes. Right. Like everything. We're all connected. But if we never feel the uncomfortableness, then we never really feel the changes. So
1: I really want to talk about the hormonal changes section. Mm -hmm. um, But I want to start this conversation by saying which space says trans rights, uh, because I don't want anybody getting it twisted. Yeah. Which space is pro-trans. We don't fuck with TERFs. Don't get involved. Um, Yeah. But I do (laughs) really like this section because I do think that modern society kind of tries to keep us separate from our own hormonal cycles and yes. temperance talks about um, going on birth control and the story that she tells is very similar to the story that I experienced and the story that I've heard from other people that going on birth control fucked up a bunch of shit you know it uh, for some people it causes depression for some people causes weight gain like it, it fundamentally messes up the way that your body functions And, um, you know, she says, I was so willing to trade the power and sanctity of my period for the convenience of clear skin that for over a decade I took pills that stunted my natural magic. And I'm like wishy-washy on the idea of like, you know, womb magic and all of that. But I do think that every person has a hormonal cycle and every person has estrogen and testosterone. So it's not like a, you know, male, female thing, but you should as a person not just as a witch take the time to know your own cycles right and whether that's you know the cycle of me um injecting my hormones so that i can affirm my gender or it's the cycle of the ones you were born with you should be intimately comfortable with that because one like your hormones control a significant amount of your body functions right like it's not just oh i don't want to have a period it's estrogen and progesterone are controlling your emotions controlling the way you process energy like all of these things affect the way your body works you should know what that is whether you're going to use it for magic or just the way that you're living your life
0: so i'm going to disagree with this i think it's going to be fun yeah okay well the first thing i want to say before we get into the disagreement is that she does say that the levels of testosterone and estrogen in men flow in cycles similar to women so I just want to say for people who are listening to this and maybe they're trans and going, so what happens if I am a trans woman or is my cycle messed up? No. We all have cycles. Yeah. Right? Cis and trans. It's about listening to your cycles and to your body because the cycles they're there. Yeah. You're not losing, you're not gaining. You have cycles and they may shift right depending on the hormones but they're there so everybody has the capability of tapping into the same type of cycles let's put it that way absolutely so everybody's going to be the same there where i'm going to differ when it comes to birth control is it gave me my life back so let me explain i had incredibly bad periods when i was young Mm -hmm. and the doctors say your cycle will change in seven years here's the thing It was getting to the point where I was dreading the calendar. I was, my anxiety was through the roof. They were so bad. I mean, I would pass out. The pain would be so bad, I would pass out. Okay. My mother would have to go get me at school because it would just come on. And I knew I had a certain window of time to tell the teacher before I would black out. Mm -hmm. So I dreaded it. I didn't want to be, forget being a witch. I didn't want to be a person anymore. Yeah. I did not. I'm not saying I wanted to unalive myself. I didn't. But I was desperate for anything. And my mother saw that, that I was not living a full life because yeah. I was, I would have a good, and then I would start looking at the calendar. I would have good days and I started going, oh God, oh God, it's, it's coming, right? It's going to come. Like she would see this anxiety in me. like I didn't mm-hmm. want to go out around the, 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 the days that I could possibly get my period. So going on birth control for me, like all of a sudden I had a cycle, but it wasn't killing me. Yeah, right. And when I was able to go off, I thought, "Oh, it's going to come again. It's going to come again." And it didn't. It wasn't as bad. Yes, my cycle did change over time, mm-hmm. but for that that time, and I'm saying this because when I was put on birth control, I was a witch. I was practicing, um, but I no longer dreaded it. Now, when I looked at the moon cycle and my cycle, I could start thinking about it rationally. Yeah, there was no way that I would have been able to look at it rationally if I had not been given something. The pain, it was unreal. And I have students that have told me, look, I even have parents that have told me, look, I you know I know it's going to sound crazy, but my daughter, she can't come in. And I'm like, this doesn't sound crazy at all. Yeah. And I tell these girls, I'm like, it will shift. Right? I never tell them go on birth control or don't go. That's none of my yeah. business. But I do tell them it does shift. Seven years for me would have been too long waiting like that. I would have Absolutely. missed whole parts of my life had I not gone on it. So if you are in that situation, I guess I'm just saying, if you're a witch listening to this going, you know, I think I need to go on birth control or whatever. Maybe your periods weren't as bad and just know that this is also a cycle. Like she talks about there are cycles in like the planet that go like, what is it? 200 years and 10,000 years. So, you know, women, uh, cis women have these cycles with their periods that every seven years it will shift. So maybe you had a good cycle and now you're going into a bad cycle. There's cycles, you know, it's not going to last. Talk to your doctor, figure out what's going to be the best thing for you. Don't let, don't let a bad cycle now make you horrified of cycles in general, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yes. Right. And I'm sure that things have gotten better and I think more doctors are aware and if they're not switch doctors, you know. um, Facts.
1: I will say I don't actually think we're disagreeing. I think I just need to be more specific because I don't want anybody on this podcast to be like, oh, Gemini says don't be on birth control. I think it's important that you know your body. You clearly knew your body. You were intimately knowledgeable about the fact that your body was fucking up and you were not going to deal with that. And that's what I want. Because I do think in some cases, you know, we kind of just, we, hi, me, and other people I know, but maybe listeners just kind of go, oh, well, I'm going to go on birth control. That's just what you do. I'm like, maybe you should figure your shit out first. If you yeah. figured your shit out, go for it. Merry Christmas, right? In the same way that like, if you're trans and you need to be on hormones to feel safe in your body, do that. Yep. Right. If you don't need to do that, don't do that. You shouldn't feel pressured to do it if you don't need it. Right. And I think that's the the point of this section about cycles is like, know your cycle so that you know how to do what you need with it. And if that's yeah. to use it as it is beautiful if that's to change it so that you can feel
0: alive do that but know it you know yeah yeah for sure so um, aside from her cycles, cycle she talks about the seasons yes. death is a cycle that autumn welcomes with open arms and I love that she says that because I think you know what I think next year we have to have something on death yeah and maybe death witches because we talk about it like oh yes you know, cronehood, and we've mentioned this. Nobody wants to be a crone. We like talking about crones. Yes. But nobody likes mentioning it. And you know, I have a sweatshirt that I got from Lively Ghost that says crone as fuck. And when I wear it, I do know that I get like looks from people. And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, man, like whether people consider me a crone now or not, like that's where I'm going toward. And like, let's do it. But then you have death, and death is a cycle. And we see it, especially if you live in a place that has different seasons, right? We're going into death right now. The trees no longer have any leaves on them, right? Everything is gone. So because it's almost, you know, winter. So to not look at it and not examine it, it's important. You need to have a dark side of your wheel. It can't all be light, even though she's saying to recreate a wheel for yourself. And even though you may not live in a place where winter is dark or cold or anything like that, your wheel is not necessarily all light and happy and fluffy bunnies. There is a season that's going to be dark. Well, it's
1: like talking about the Taino culture. Like, if you don't have a winter, well, you might have, like, monsoons. Right. Right, and that's going to be the period where you're not doing as much because you're dealing with intense weather. So just because your seasons don't match the wheel doesn't mean that the metaphor of the wheel doesn't still work
0: right i mean they have hurricanes in the caribbean they've always had to deal with the destruction and the death yeah literal death that comes from these seasons and then you have seasons of you know everything flourishing so yeah everybody's got their own death in their cycle she talks about astrological cycles and i almost feel like saying okay take it away gemini (laughs) (laughs) well and gemini is literally
1: reading the book as we speak because she liked it so much that she just wrote all of her notes in the book. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think knowing astrological cycles can be really helpful because people really only know like their Saturn return, like, Oh, Saturn comes back around like 28 to 30 years after you're born. Yeah. But you get, you have a Jupiter return. You can have, you know, Pluto returns. Like we have every planet come through our chart somehow. And when they come back around, that can affect us, you know, Jupiter, I actually think Jupiter's cycle is like yeah, 12 years. So you're looking at every 12 years, a change in expansion, in luck, in career. That's a lot. Right? And maybe maybe you can look back and be like, Oh, I actually do see where that change happened. Maybe you look back and you're like, I don't quite get it. But to be able to look at like these different time periods tells you about yourself and shows you where you could go in the future
0: yeah absolutely i'm a big fan so chapter three yes elemental magic huh where did we hear that before <laughs> and she's got a quote from a book that maybe we want to check check out the dark arts by richard yes. Cavendish. The quote is, in modern occultism, the four elements are four conditions in which energy can exist, fire, electricity, air, gas, water, liquid, and earth, solid. Which is like fundamentally kind of
1: not accurate, because those are, three of those four things are matter, Um, which technically is energy, like that's, if we're going to get like really into it, like yeah, matter can become energy, but it's got to move super, super fast, Um, I would... Personally, I would take that into the four conditions in which matter can exist, and I would have fire be plasma, um, which is mm. a form of matter that we just generally don't see. Um, but I would like to read the book, because that that quote definitely got me like interested in it. Like, hmm, what does this take really mean then? I like a chapter like this, because I always like looking at people's takes on elements. Um, I don't know that I read it and was like, is is particularly different than anything I've read before.
0: Yeah. So, you know, she also mentions spirit because it inhabits every essence of our being. Uh, They're gender neutral and they come from the divine. And then she says something about the seasons and she says, you know, spring air, summer fire, fall earth and winter water and spirit is every season. And I thought, Going back to what we were saying about the Taino people, well, no, summer would be water. Yeah. Right? If you're you're thinking about hurricanes, they're thinking about water. You know, water and air? I don't know. So, anyway, but these are just things that she was talking about. And then we get to shepherding the land, which is chapter four. With a great quote at
1: the beginning of that chapter, the world is not given by his fathers but borrowed from his children. I wish more people would think about that. Hmm. just you know just sit with that quote for a couple of minutes everyone and this is where we start talking about covid yes which like was a yikes for me i was like oh god now i have to read about this for the rest of my life
0: (laughs) oh welcome to my world my students are writing about it all the time oh my goodness so yeah so anyway so what is a shepherd somebody who watches over the welfare and safety of the lives entrusted to them that is what she wrote yeah. So, aren't we shepherds then? Isn't that the point of witches? Yeah. To be protectors of the land of the people living on it? And I like that. Even if,
1: when you sit down and think about your life, you're like, I am only the shepherd of myself. Mm-hmm. Does yourself not interact with people and with the land? And if you are going to be a good shepherd for yourself, should you not give a shit about the things that yourself is interacting with?
0: Yeah. She talks about to be truly connected to the land, you've got to be conscious of the social factors and impact the direct health and energy of the spirits around us. And I feel that this is going to mean so many different things to so many different people. Yeah. You know? I feel like people are using, not using, but I I don't like when people try to push, and she talks about this, when people try to push things as though, well, I'm better than you because I'm vegan. I'm better Mm -hmm. than you because I don't buy fast fashion, which is going to end up in landfills. Yes, we should reuse. We should recycle. We should be thrifting. I'm not saying that any of those things are bad. Duh. Those are good things to do. But- she talks about plastic witchcraft. And she says they mean two things. One being plastic, being fake, right? I have the aesthetics of witchcraft. I carry my tarot deck around. Yeah. But I'm not, I don't really delve deep into what I'm doing. And the other thing is literally people who use plastic. And she says the problem with this is to call somebody plastic takes empathy out of the equation. That's yeah. literally what she says. Those are the words she used. And I love that. Because you do not know right? Why would you ridicule or scorn another witch because they are using plastic? Do you know the economics behind what this person has? Are you not empathetic to the fact that they might be also learning that, that this might be plastic, but they're going to have it forever because you know what, this means something to them and this is what they yeah. could afford. And that doesn't mean that they're a bad witch. So, you know, I, I, I thought about that. She also talks about online presence as being plastic.
1: Which is a very interesting take. Yeah. So before I jump into that, I do want to point out she does like, it's not like a ritual necessarily, but like an activity to try and figure out like ways that you can be a better shepherd. Um, mm. And I really liked that because I felt like the way she approached it was very gentle and very much like think in your own life and like make a couple of changes. Um I think a lot of times in these conversations, and you see it when she talks about plastic witchcraft, there's a lot of shame. It's a lot of shaming other people. And so the idea that she kind of approached this very gently and was like, you do whatever works for you. I liked that. Like, yeah, I don't want to feel shamed that I'm, like, not doing enough. Like, the world is so complicated and there are so many people with so much more power than me. And I don't want to feel like I have to fix the world myself. So when you approach it as like, okay, well, how can you make little changes? Yeah, no, you know what? I love that. I can do that. When people get on your back and are like, you know, oh, well, you're ruining the environment because you use plastic. Like, all right, you know what? I can't. I can't do that. We cannot start putting the entire... You can't shepherd the whole world. You can only shepherd your
0: part of the world. And you also have to think about what you're doing. Um, For example... I like making witch balls and which is use glass. All right. Well, I have a little dog and yeah. if the glass shatters and I do own glass things, I get very spooked because I mean, I don't want to get it in me, but I'll deal right. If I step yeah. on glass, like I'm conscious of, okay, I have glass. I have to get it out. I may have to, dog's not going to know why would I want to hurt the dog if I have people in my life that have children, I'm going to give them something. I'm going to give them glass so that if it falls, now the kid can get, like, you know, what are we doing at the end of the the day? Right? She also says, witches aren't a group, I'm going to, this is a quote, aren't a group of consumers to be sold to. They are part of an ancient connection to the energy of the earth, regardless of aesthetic or superficial approval. Yeah. And God, did I love that.
1: It's hard because sometimes I am a consumer sure. and I would like to buy things. But on Absolutely. the other hand, like, what is your practice if it's just buying
0: things? Right. I mean, I think for us, we we do live in a consumerist country. I mean, we're yeah. in the U.S. Come on. That's what we do. We consume. We hide our feelings. We buy stuff. So, so we like to do it. But... I like that she says witchcraft is in the heart of the witch, not in the tools or supplies. And I know I've said it on the podcast. My mom always said to me, what are you doing buying all that stuff? But I needed it. And then once you buy it and you've had it and you feel good, you realize, "Yeah, I don't need any of this stuff. Yeah. But that's okay. Right? I I don't think it's wrong for any witch. If you are excited about being a witch and your excitement is in buying an expensive athame or a broom and you have it in your room, and you are happy about it, then I am happy for you. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I know. She does talk about how can we get through a podcast without talking about Amazon. (laughs) We can't. (laughs) How it takes away from the community. But I'll tell you something else that's a pet peeve of mine. I visit any city I'm in, any place I go. There's a witch shop. I'm in it. Yeah. And who doesn't like to get like a new little pendant or maybe a little ring or something? And yeah, the prices of things have gone up. I'm not going to say they haven't. I mean, I've spent a pretty penny on something that I'm like, Oh my God, maybe, you know, before silver has gone up tremendously. So yeah, you're going to, you're going to pay for it. But what I don't like to see, I don't like going into a witch store, seeing something and going, well, you know, it's a little bit pricey. Then going online and finding it on Etsy for like, more than half off the exact same thing. I understand that brick and mortar stores have to make money yeah but I'm just saying in defense of all my Amazon witches, you know what i I get up pretty early to go to work. I want to support witches but I can't give you four times what something is worth when I can get it on Amazon like I, I just mm. I can't do that just because I want to support you. At some point, I feel like maybe you shouldn't have those things, have the things that people will buy, but that, you know, I don't know. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. Like, it's just, yeah, you got to think about that, too. And of course, the aesthetics. She also talks about the fact that, you know, aesthetics make witches think they need all this stuff. They need all these big black hats. (sighs) Nobody needed these big black hats until Coven, until I blame American Horror Story. Yeah. Because before American Horror Story, it was just goths wearing it. I've always had bl- big black hats in my <laughs> in my closet. But Bef- then American Horror Story, and I thought, oh, that's cool. I don't know.
1: And I think American Horror Story Coven is one of those moments where, like, it was a witchy thing on TV, and that's the aesthetic that got absorbed. You right. Know, I think that I, – I love aesthetics, but also sure. – I have never been the kind of person who is like consistent. I'm a Gemini. I've never been the kind of person who's consistent with an aesthetic. So if my participation in the witch community is dependent on my ability to maintain a witchy aesthetic,
0: I'm not a witch. I'm just not a witch. Yeah. So she says to start, you need two things. A place to focus and something to write with and something to write on. And I think
1: that's, like, our vibe also is, like, the most important thing is fucking journal. Like, write your shit down.
0: But I'm going to go on to say if you want to buy a cool robe, they have some cute dresses at Wings of Sin. Look them up. They've also been in Moon, Serpent, and Bone. Yes. They have some really cute, I think pretty affordable things you can wear. If you want to buy yourself what makes you happy, but with the knowledge that you don't necessarily need it. But sometimes aesthetic works. Sometimes you need yeah. to look the part to get there. You know, so I totally get that too. Then she talks about altars. Yes, very in depth, lots of discussion of altars. Yeah. She says first you have to identify why you need an altar. I thought it was interesting. She talks about travel altars, seasonal altars and general working altars. So my travel altar is really simple. It's in a bag. It doesn't even have a candle, doesn't even have incense. It is literally a representation of the god and the goddess, and that is it. I even have it in my suitcase. I will charge it before I go on vacation, and off they go. It goes with me, and I can pull it out. And no matter where I am, I don't have to worry when I leave the hotel room or if I'm in my mother-in-law's house that she's going to walk in and go, what is going on in this room? It's just these two little things that could mean anything. I mean, when I go to her house, I sleep in a room with, I believe there are three crucifixes there. Yikes. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit. But you know what? The, the dark goth part of me is like, hmm. Yeah. You know? So, <laughs> so it's not too weird. It's kind of like, oh, this is kind of cool. I'm sleeping like in a crypt. So, um, but yeah. And, you know, the, the trap. So, yeah, that's the only thing I have seasonal altars i gave up on i just i i i will change my working altar and i will add some things that are seasonal but i can't commit to it
1: i think for me that's like that's the part that resonated with me is this idea of like know why you need an altar because like i don't need a seasonal altar i don't need it maybe one day in the future i will want one um there's, in, the, in another chapter, the next chapter, she talks about gardening and, like, I would love to be a gardener. If one day I have a functional garden, maybe I'll have a seasonal altar because I'll have different vegetables and fruits that I've grown that I'm, you know, that are in a place. But I, I don't have a travel altar either. Like, they're just not things that I personally need.
0: You know what I was thinking when you were saying that about if you have a functional garden? I thought – It'd be kind of interesting to, I'm not saying people should do this. I'm thinking something that I might want to do. When I think of the seasons,
1: mm-hmm.
0: what rooms in my house, I mean, I know we decorate for Yule or whatever, but what rooms in my house might symbolize certain things to me?
1: Yeah. Could
0: I have mini altars throughout my house that are covered up so that when it's another season that gets uncovered? And I could put fresh flowers, let's say, for spring. Or I could bring pine cones for, you know, the season. It, you know, so it's different altars around my house. Where in my house? Well, what rooms are what for me? Yeah. You know, can my backyard be have a summer altar? The problem with that is weather. That's the only yeah. thing. Right? Um, but what is a warm place in my home? The kitchen? Or would I say warm my heart? The bedroom, yeah, right. That's where you. It has to be the warmest place. It is the place that you are resting your body. But at
1: that point, for me, it would be winter. See, that's winter, like your little
0: hibernation spot. I guess, but for me, winter would be near the fireplace because the only time oh, no, I'm going to yeah. use it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but again, it's different associations. It yes. might be winter for you, right? So, if we had these little altars in different parts of our home you know that can be covered up so they don't get dusty and they don't just become a thing that you you look at and you forget about right mm-hmm. when you uncover it you have a focus now that yeah. might be an interesting thing to do i don't know i don't know if i'll do it i'll let you know if i do i'll say it on the podcast but i'm kind of liking that idea
1: and i like that we're discussing sort of having the different correspondences because that was my favorite part of the gardening chapter is this discussion of you know okay well how do you understand plant correspondences um because one of the things that i have always done like from the jump as a witch was sort of quote unquote do my own correspondences right what do things mean to me and yes look at their historical aspects look at their traditional aspects but like okay that and what's the vibe that
0: i'm getting um right am i
1: crazy or does she do this for weed
0: no she does Okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. That I don't was know if dope. I wrote it down, but yeah, she did.
1: Um, so, and it was very detailed and interesting the way that she did it because I think I would have taken Weed in a different direction, but her analysis really sat down and looked at, okay, well, let's look at what it's related to. Let's look at how people use it. Let's look at all of the information before we come to a conclusion on how we would use this in magic.
0: But I think that you can change the correspondence if you have a different association with Weed. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So that's what she's talking about. She's talking about practicing intuition and building correspondences with plants. So she says, it's not like you don't look at what people have written in the past about the plants. Of course you can look at it. You should look at it. If it's a new plant, it could be poisonous, especially. But, you know, you want to ask questions like, well, what type, what is the family, right, that it comes from? Yeah. Is it poisonous? Um how healthy does it appear when you look at it? What does it feel like when you touch it, when you work with it? And then you can start building on the correspondences. So something that means one thing to one, which you can now change it. You're not just going half-cocked and saying, well, it's blue, so I'm going to associate it with happiness. No, you have to do, it. aside from physically looking at it and touching it, what what is it known for? What is that family of plants known for? So that you can start to think like, hmm, I think it's the same thing when you learn... Um, an oracle deck system. Like when you're thinking of Lenormand, yes. right? They always say to you, what are the correspondences? When you think of this, what else can you associate? What other words can you pull? And now you have like a more yeah. robust way of looking at this one card. I think it's the same thing as what she's saying for the correspondences of the plants.
1: So I had a thought while we were talking about this. And this is absolutely out of left field. Mm-hmm. the the gardening chapter talks about, you know, having your own garden and like touching the soil and all of that stuff. And I was thinking about how for a lot of people having a garden is not necessarily an option. Um, Mm -hmm. But then my brain went to, (laughs) I'm, I'm a lunatic. There's this argument that goes around a lot about how like, poor people don't read theory, because they don't have time right? Like they don't have time to be doing all this extra work because they're working three jobs or whatever. Um, And like, I think that's a fucked up thing to say or to assume about poor people. I think even if you don't have space for a garden, if that's something you're passionate about, there are ways to make it work. Um, I got a zine from Catland about fugitive gardens and gardening on your fire escape in New York City. Mm -hmm. Um, So like, even if you can't garden This book has information that's very useful to you if you're interested in gardening. And that, again, is I think what this book comes back to is like you need to do what works for you. Your wheel of the year has to resonate for you. If it's not something you're into, that's not because, you know, oh, I don't have time for it or oh, I don't like if you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it. You don't have to have an excuse or you don't have to let other people make excuses for you. Like you're allowed to not want to garden.
0: And also this idea of poor people and gardening. So if you go to Manhattan in New York and you go down to the Lower East Side in Alphabet City, you will find a lot of community gardens. And how they started, I mean, now they're kind of bougie, some of them. You got to pay money mm-hmm. to be a part of it. You have to be on a list and then they let you on and then you can, you know, have your own little plot. <laughs> you can have some dirt. Yeah. But in the beginning, it was, these were neighborhoods nobody wanted to go to. This is before gentrification. These neighborhoods were considered scary and Mm -hmm. violent places. I had a lot of things happen as far as, like, getting, you know, things stolen and whatnot. Nothing ever happened to me in the Lower East Side. So, yeah, okay, they were extremely violent. Mm -hmm. They They were fine. But you had a lot of abandoned plots. You had a lot of abandoned buildings and people would go in and restructure these buildings and people went in and instead of having dirt everywhere, they made community gardens. And now these community gardens are protected. Yeah. These were not the richest people on the planet. That's why they were living there. It's not the way it is now. So yeah, yeah, people have always, who have an interest in something, will always find a way and will find a time to do it. And it's not going to cost them $1,000 to do. Yeah. So there you go. Then we go to local elements and spirits, land spirits, which she says, go ahead.
1: Starts the chapter with a reference to um, Hayao Miyazaki's Princess Mononoke, which is first of all, a fantastic fucking movie that everyone should watch. And second of all, that movie and Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind are Miyazaki's thesis on environmentalism. So I have a lot of feelings about it. Go watch the movie. It's great.
0: There you go. (laughs) So she says land spirits are not specific to any particular culture. So she's not talking about how Native Americans see the land. She's not trying to talk about any of that. She's just saying, if you are a witch, then you understand that things are alive, right? The trees Mm -hmm. are alive. um, The birds are alive. The flowers are alive. The land is alive. And all of these things have spirits that either are housed there or are protecting that space. So you should work with them. So what she's talking about, she talked about, was it a tree by her property? I'm trying to remember. Yes. I think it was a tree. But make a connection. Yes. It was a tree? It, it was a like tree a when she lived in Boulder or something? Okay. There was so, also a boulder. It's two oh, places. Okay. So, you know, find something on your land and make a connection with it. Talk to it. Every property, she says, has a primary guardian spirit. And it could be a river, a well, uh, a boulder, a tree, like she mentioned. You know, that's what she means by working with your local spirits, not, you know, trying to delve into, you know, uh, well, I'm not indigenous to here, so I'm talking to the lands. No, 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 no. Literally, where do you live? What are the alive things near you? Because there's a spirit there. Talk to it. Right? You're in their space. You You have to work together like a roommate. In Hellenismos,
1: there is a spirit of your home, but but your home meaning, like, the area that you live on, um, called the Agathos Daemon, and you're supposed to give libations to the Agathos Daemon, like, monthly, Mm -hmm. to continue to have prosperity in your home and to be protected in your home. So, for me, I was like, oh, yeah, these are just, this could be a physical manifestation of
0: that idea. Right. Yeah. She also has a word which I thought was interesting on DNA tests and ancestry, yes. ancestry DNA and all that stuff and appropriation versus reconnection. And she says having like 8%, I remember what it was, but like, you know, 8% Native American does not make you Native American. Please do not go around there yeah. and decide that now you're going to appropriate a culture. So.
1: I have a friend who did an ancestry DNA test. And it came back that uh, he was 2% Jewish. Mm-hmm. And so then he was like, I'm going to celebrate Hanukkah now. And I was like, mm, I don't know if that's how it works, my guy. But at the same time, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna. This is, this is great that you're appreciating another culture. Just don't tell anybody you're Jewish because
0: you're not. <laughs> I did one of those DNA tests. I, I just wanted to see if something fun would come up. There was nothing in there that I didn't expect. Yeah. So I was like, all right, well, thanks for that. That was good. (laughs) Thank you for validating the things that I already knew. Yeah. There was nothing in there. Like, I'm not like 50% something that I go, look at that. Oh, my God. Anyway, then she goes on to the origin of the Wheel of the Year. And then she starts to split them all up. So chapter 9 is Samhain. Chapter 10 is Yule. And so on and so forth. I liked
1: her discussion of the Dumb Supper um Mm -hmm. for Samhain I think that that's not something that you generally see or it's not something we've seen in a book so far that I recall
0: I feel like we have but I can't think of which one but okay
1: yeah it's something that we have not seen regularly yeah um the idea of like okay this is a way to honor your ancestors and we talk all the time about oh it's Samhain the veil is thin all right what are you going to do about it this is a way to do something about it um and I think that that's that's what I like about this is she keeps giving you ways to do something about it. Yeah. Um, With this, you know, constant reminder that you need to do what works for you. If these are not your seasons,
0: you don't have to do these, do your own seasons. So she starts talking about the non-traditional year and creating your own wheel. Yes. So She says it's not just okay to change the wheel. It should be encouraged. This should be something that every witch should do. So how do you create your own wheel? She goes on to tell us how this wheel was created. She says when the English Wiccans decided to put their calendar together, they sourced most of their holidays from the Irish, Scottish, Welsh, and Germanic peoples.
1: Which is a wide swath of people.
0: Yeah. And she says they took most of it out of original context. They gave no credit to the culture's. And the origins of the festivals, leaving many gaps in practice. So, even if you say, Well, you know what? This wheel works for me. Yeah, she's right. There's gaps in it. We don't even know. Yeah. You know, um, I've never, I don't know anybody who worships Lou, Lunasa. Yeah. I don't know anybody. Why, why is it Lunasa? Well, you know. So, I, I think we need to think about it. And she says, Why can't you put things like your birthday as the beginning of the wheel of the year? And celebrate that? And I was like, yes, I agree. Everybody should have Scorpio season as the beginning of the wheel of the year. <laughs> Technically, isn't it? <sighs> yes, it is. <laughs> so she says, she, she tells you to ask yourself some questions. Why did you celebrate this thing? If you are celebrating in bulk and you're like, well, because it's part of the wheel of the year, okay, I don't know, according to her, and I think I agree with her, is that a reason to celebrate in bulk because it's part of the wheel? What yeah. does it mean to you? She says, would you do it again? What did you What did you learn? Yeah. Who did you celebrate with? And then in my own notes, I'm like, annotate the shit out of it, I wrote. Like, yeah. just really go into a deep dive of why you do all these things. So if you're doing the regular wheel of the year, she's suggesting, and I love it, go in and ask yourself honestly what you get out of it. Because if I'm 100% honest... I don't get a lot out of some of them. Yeah, I I you love. You
1: forgot Mavin.
0: I forgot Mabon completely. <laughs> I I guess it doesn't matter. Lunasa, I love, I love it, and I know for a lot of people they're like, "Ugh, it's hot." Um, how could it be a harvest festival? But it is in the Hudson Valley. Maybe not so much when I lived in the city, but now that I live here. I see it. I see people talking about it's apple picking season. Yeah. All the different apples. You know, what is left to be picked during that time? We're coming to the end. All the fruit, all the strawberries and peaches and all this other stuff that they have in different places, those are gone. And now we're just coming down to the apples. And the very end is going to be the pumpkins, which happens around the beginning of October here in the Hudson Valley. So I love it. Even though it's hot in August... I'm, I'm getting ready to go back to work. I'm getting ready for the colder weather. I am loving fall. So that's a great one for me. Mabon should be a great one. I, I, I don't know what happens to me. Samhain, yeah. I, you know, it's in the middle of uh, Scorpio season. Who doesn't love that? And, and I love Yule. As we start the traditional wheel of the year, I have a love-hate relationship with some of these things. Yeah. Some of them I'm not that in love with. I can tell you right now, Astara is like, uh, okay, mm-hmm. uh, I could take it or leave it.
1: I really could. Well, and I really like what she then says is like, all right, write down your vibes for each month. Yes. Right? What what does each month mean to you? And part of that is like, okay, we're, we're automatically assuming like a Gregorian calendar thing, which, right, you know, whatever. But for most of us, that's what we're living in. So why wouldn't we? automatically assume a Gregorian calendar. Right. And go in and say, "All right, well, you know, in August, it's cotton candy grape season." Yes. You know, in, and she's right. I December, love that too. I love cotton candy grapes. Oh my god. You know, in December, it's um it's very for, she's in Florida, cool and dry, but for us it's cold. Yeah. You know, and then okay, now that you've gone through and figured out what the vibe is, what element is associated with each of those months for you? And create your holidays, create your wheel based on what resonates with you? It's so, like Temperance, she has Astara on her wheel of the year. Astara yeah. is important to her. Yeah. Um. For me, I probably wouldn't either. I wouldn't because I don't do any of these holidays. But, um. You know, no, I would. I think I would have Yule. I would have Yule and Samhain on my own wheel of the year. They're not like my holidays, but
0: they're my holidays. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. I like Imbolc. Imbolc to me is like Yule. It's like um. There's hope, there's hope out of, out of winter.
1: But I like that she gives us, first of all, her, her examples, right? Mm -hmm. But also that her example is what works for her. And actually I, I'm doing this. I didn't even realize this is, this is not, I didn't put this together until right now. I got a new planner for um, 2023. It's the first time I'm not doing a bullet journal, but I just, I know. I don't have time with a baby. Um, So I bought a planner and I, I was, like, putting in the seasons for each planner, and I realized winter for me starts January 1st. December is the holiday season. Mm. And that's its own thing. That's its own season. Because if I try to treat December like winter, it doesn't – like, then winter is ruined for me because December is so – Exuberant and full of this holiday energy and then January and February are not. So I'm either going to ruin winter as a whole season or I'm going to accept that the vibes in December are drastically different than the vibes in traditional winter. Um, and so, I mean, I fucked up the planner already because I started without that assumption, but I realized as I was doing it, yeah, that's a separate season. That's something I have to treat separately because if I don't, it's not fun.
0: <laughs> You know, I actually went and wrote down what all the months mean to me. Yeah, tell I me, did. Tell me, tell me, tell me. So January is cold. It's longing for home. It's being restless because I just, I hate mm-hmm. how cold it is. And by the way, what I think is funny about New Yorkers, in case you're wondering, we hate the cold. We hate it. But when the temperature hits 65 and 70 on days it's supposed to be cold... We hate that more. That is true. We bitch more about, what do you mean it's 75 today? Why, why is it 60 degrees? It's supposed yeah. to be miserable and cold. Then for <laughs> February, I wrote things like, still cold, light emerges. It's a short month. There's hope. It's mm-hmm. quiet. March, I have promise of spring. More light. April, I just wrote thaw, sun, flowers.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: May, true warmth. Planning, planting. Mm -hmm. June, the first thing I have is freedom. Because June for me is I am out of there. I am out Mm -hmm. of school. I I can taste it, right? June, you're never going to see a happier but more tired teacher than the month of June. Because we can get through anything. You could tell us to do anything. We got this. Because we are so already out the door, right? So freedom, sun, um, warmth. July starts to get weird for me. July to me is water, travel, people. August, I have overwhelming heat, it <laughs> pains, is. pains of summer. August for me yeah. is the most painful month of summer, right? September is the promise of fall. It's cool breezes, it's the last f- budding flowers. Not this mm-hmm. year. We had flowers in the beginning of November because the weather doesn't know what it's doing. Yeah. Uh, October for me, night returns, crisp air, apples, pumpkin, everything, darkness on everyone's mind. Yeah. You could talk about the most messed up movie, whatever, TV show, and people just think it's a holiday vibe and they just <laughs> go with it. And yeah. people people went in hard for Halloween this year and yeah. I was there for it. I was like, yes. Um, November, I wrote Darkness envelops, Hearty Food, First Frost.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And December is just light, green everywhere, family, food, and the promise of another year. Yeah. So, you know, what am I going to do with that? I don't know. But I like that I wrote it out. I feel there's a lot more that I need to add to it, right? Because here are the things, but how does it make me feel? Promise of fall is happy for me. Yeah. You know, last flower buds, There's sadness. You know, Mm -hmm. there's like a, there's like a, this juxtaposition between things that I love and things that also make me sad. Like, I love when pumpkin spice, when they announce pumpkin spice, everything is around. But there's also a sadness knowing what is to come, right? Mm -hmm. Enjoy this because there's nothing. And I literally mean nothing because if you go on that menu for Dunkin' or Starbucks in January, Mm -hmm. it is just sad until we get to spring. It's just like, I don't even want coffee. I mean, I love a good salted caramel mocha. Yeah. Spice or death. (laughs) Well, or chestnut praline latte, right? And then in the summer, it's like, you know, no more oat milk. Now we get to the coconut milk with the summer stuff, right? So Mm -hmm. you can mix it up. Uh, That's just me. These are my issues. She also talks about important days to you, you know, like September 11th. Yeah. You can mark that down. There's a definite feeling around that time of year. Yeah. Right? So family traditions, all that stuff. That's yeah, all that's I...
1: stuff that I think about a lot now. Cause it's you know, with a baby I'm like, ooh, what are what family traditions are we
0: doing? Okay, so I wrote that down to ask you, and then I was like, ah, I'm not gonna ask. She's probably gonna tell me she's not thought he hasn't thought about it. And then you just come out and you said it, and I was like, well, Oh, I, okay.
1: I've thought about it a lot. I don't my problem is is that the things that I care about and the things that my child is going to experience are like not always the same, so like my family celebrates Christmas. I don't, I could not care less about Christmas. Like I'm cool with the giving the gifts thing, but I don't really care about the stuff that goes with it. But I know that that's a thing that I have to consider of like what are the traditions that my family's going to do for Christmas with baby bat.
0: Hmm. So. If I can give you, like, some thoughts on that. (laughs) Yeah, that's the whole point of the podcast. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. So my mother's family, which is the family that I was mostly brought up with here in New York. Mm -hmm. I mean, my father's family was around. But when I think about, like, holiday traditions, it was grandma's house. And, you know, she had a complicated spiritual path because, on the one hand, she's this son a bruja type thing, but she's also considers herself a Catholic. I mean, the woman went to mass all the time,
1: mm-hmm. which
0: makes sense with Santeria. So in my house, well, first of all, if you are Latine, especially the Caribbean, I can't speak for everybody. The 24th is Christmas. That's pretty yeah. much it. You open up your gifts the 24th. And then the 25th, you're in your pajamas just eating leftovers and playing with your toys if you're a kid or doing whatever you do. You watch movies. You don't do anything on the 25th. It's not a real holiday. Yeah. Okay. So La Misa del Gallo, which is the mass of the rooster, because it is morning. It's midnight mass. Yeah. Yeah. That's where my family would go. So basically they would go, they'd come back, you open gifts. My parents wouldn't take me because we weren't Catholic. So yeah. I didn't feel weird. I did say to my mom, can I go to midnight mass once? And she was like, sure. So I went once with my family mm-hmm. and it was fun. Um, maybe my cousins and I were laughing a little too loudly when we were sitting there. Nobody took it seriously. We were young. Yeah. But I liked being part of it, but I knew that that had nothing to do with me. But I understood the story that was taught in Christianity about the baby Jesus and the three wise men. The three wise men are part of my culture. Mm. So I got gifts on the 24th and I got gifts on Three Kings Day because it was important for my parents to understand my culture, even though I didn't associate necessarily the three kings I mean, I knew they were part of the Jesus story, but it wasn't like, oh, these are the kings that saw the baby Jesus. No, these are the three Mm -hmm. guys that are going to bring me some stuff. Right. So that's how I saw it. My logic is, is that the memories
1: that you have of like holiday magic are created by your parents. Right. I don't, I'm not excited about putting up a Christmas tree or, you know, garland and decor. Like that's not. That's never something that I've been excited okay. about. But like how do you create holiday magic if you don't
0: care about it? So my parents decided that they were going to do a Christmas tree and all that because I was going to be going to public school and they felt that I did not need to be weird. <laughs> or from than the get-go. You were. Right. <laughs> so I had a Christmas tree and I had all that stuff. Again, you'll have to realize that all of these sacred spiritual holidays, whether it's Yule or it's Christmas, have been co-opted by Coca-Cola where we get, you know, Santa Claus and Rudolph, who is not part of the original team, but we had to make a show so we could sell more stuff. So when you think of it that way, it becomes a commercial holiday. I'm not saying my parents told me this is all commercialism and, you know, capitalism and, you know, we're screwed. They didn't say that to me as a child. It's just a time for children to have hope for adults. Look, every adult at Christmas is scarred. The older you get, the more it hurts, right? Who you've lost, who you wish was sitting at the dinner table. You know, all that stuff is hard on adults. But if there are kids, you get to live it through the kids and you have a lot of fun. If there are no kids because everybody's grown, you talk about, remember the time that grandma, remember the time that this, you laugh, you realize you love each other. And, you know, it's just humans trying to get through life. It's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm going to say for children. I'm just saying it for me since I was not yeah. brought up traditional. And now you're saying to yourself, what am I going to do with baby bat? Consider the environment. Considering, Consider, consider how you want them to feel in relation to their classmates and school. What yeah. you teach at home is what you teach at home. My parents always told me Santa Claus didn't exist. I wasn't one of those kids that discovered the Santa Claus. I, I knew. Mm-hmm. My parents felt that, that was a lie to do that to children. And that why can't you just say... Santa Claus is a cartoon, and we like to say that he brings the toys. It didn't hurt me. I didn't feel left out. I still had my tree, and I had my Rudolph doll, and I had my Grinch doll, and I enjoyed all of it. Knowing that there was a segment of my family that was taking this to a spiritual level, my family didn't do that. And I was still just as happy, and my friends didn't know, and it wasn't, I wasn't the odd person out. You know, and I appreciate that from my parents. Plus, I love it. I remember loving going to my grandparents' house. And look, my mother used to dress me up for Easter too. Meanwhile, Easter meant nothing in my family. Mm -hmm. But I got a new hat and I got a new dress and I got to go to grandma's house after they came Mm -hmm. out of church. We'd go for dinner. You know, you can be part of the social aspect of these holidays and have your child enjoy that if you want to. Yeah, You know, without pushing anything. And as they get older, you'll have the age-appropriate conversations. You know, Mom, is Santa Claus real? No, sweetie, he's a cartoon, if you want to say that. Or you could say that he's real. It's whatever you want to do. Yeah. But from the get-go, it's about, I think, what did the holidays mean to you? I know that for my parents, it was just great to have everybody, when it was everybody, in one house. It was great to talk about and to have the foods that we had, they had, not me, in Puerto Rico, or, mm-hmm. you know, what is a traditional Cuban dish in there, and to be able to have that and to remember things. It's the end of the year, and yeah, it, to me, it's more of a Thanksgiving than Thanksgiving is, you know? Yeah, agreed. So it's things for you to think about, you know, what is it that you and Mr. Gemini Want to do? With... <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that's right. He has no, no side of his own. Um, no, yeah, just Mr. Gemini. Perfect. He's just Mr. Gemini. You know. Yeah. And 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 what do you think you want to do? And again, I think my parents also did it because part of the family was Catholic, so they're yeah. going to celebrate Christmas. So what could they do with me that was palatable? Not make me stand out. And at the same mm-hmm. time, there was there was no religion to my Christmas at all. And that's something yeah. that. You and Mr. Gem and I have to determine and then see. But, you know, I hope you do Christmas because I think, or Yule, or whatever you want to call it. I just, I think it's fun. And I think, I think it's great. I mean, I just think it's adorable.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not not doing Christmas because, like, my mother's already put up the tree, you know, like all that. But, like, do I I don't necessarily want to be the one in charge of it. You know what I mean? Like. (sighs) Because that, that's the bigger issue is, like, moms are, you know, oh, make sure you put something in mom's stocking this year so mom doesn't have an empty stocking. Like, I don't, I don't care about all this. So I, it's probably going to be Mr. Gemini, honestly, who's going to be the Christmas one because he's much more excited about it than I am. So, like, okay, dude, you put up the stockings. You put up the tree. I will help. But, like, I don't want to be in charge because it just isn't it, – it's not something I would write down in my months for my wheel of the year. It's it's something we're going to participate in, but it's not
0: mine. Okay, listeners, I want us to hold Gemini to this because this is what I think. And I could be wrong. I want to see. It's going to be a little experiment. I think Baby Bat is so little. Baby Bat doesn't know if it's Christmas, if it's Easter, if it's the 4th of July. Baby Bat has no clue what's going on right now because Baby Bat's tiny. That's true. When Baby Bat's eyes like, pop open because they've seen something they think is really cool. I think that's when Gemini is going to get excited and go, oh, they really like Frosty. Mr. Gemini, we must buy a Frosty for the house. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, Maybe. I think that's when I think you're going to see because Baby Bat will be able to say, like, ooh, when they see Rudolph or when they see whatever yeah. it is they see. I think that's where the excitement for the parents come in.
1: I can hear Baby Bat. Uh, and when I'm not, I'm just not going to take the Baby Bat sounds out from my side of the recording so no. like, if you guys hear cooing that's baby bat.
0: <laughs> there you go yeah i so. think this book
1: was really good i was really excited to read it um as as some people have seen on uh, the instagrams i'm also reading wintering by Catherine may i'm like really into this living seasonally thing i've mentioned it on the podcast before So I'm just trying to figure out like what that really means for me. And I think this book was a fantastic resource. Um, If you're interested in that whole living seasonally thing, I like strongly suggest it for you.
0: Yeah, I recommend this book as well, especially it's a great end of the year book. It's a great beginning of the year book, even though we're going to have another beginning of the year book. But yeah, I recommend it. I think that everybody, beginner and seasoned witch alike will benefit from reading this book. It was a great read, well written two thumbs up to end the year we have not had one book yeah that was a clunker so and we're going for that for every year but i think the clunkers in the past were just because they were dated right i think we had issues with that but yeah no clunkers recommend this book um i hope everybody has a wonderful end of this calendar year And we will see you again in January of 2023 for year five of Witch Space. Year five. And it would not be possible without all of you guys. Love everybody who has written in, who has helped us somehow, you know, learn about new books, new ideas, who've helped us out with pronunciations, with things. Um, You guys are just amazing. And we're just so lucky to have you all listening.
1: Thank you so much for being the perfect audience. Thank you to Conwyn Moore for our amazing intro and outro music. And remember, if you're following the moons,
0: you're following us.